0: body and welcome to the Myo Minds podcast. I'm your host George, and here at Myo Minds, we want to demystify mental health and make sharing mainstream within the exercising and sporting community. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Just before we get started, I want to remind you that here on the My Minds podcast, we do often talk about eating disorders, body dysmorphia, exercise addiction, suicide, and other potentially triggering topics. Usually in the description below, I will write down what we talk about specifically in this episode. That being said, I do hope you enjoy this, but please do be careful. Hi, Rachel. How are you?
1: Good, thanks. And yourself?
0: I am good. I... I've had a very long day at work. I feel like that's the start of every podcast I've ever done is just had a long day. Isn't it funny how I feel like, yeah, even though purely the definition of of a long day is subjective, so it's comparison to other days, but still every day feels like it's a long one. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I guess it depends what you've done in the day as well. (laughs) Um, Hmm. I know in my work, sometimes I can go to work thinking I've got a short day and then it mm. ends up being an extremely long day. So,
0: yeah, because you you're a pilot,
1: right? Yes.
0: That's yeah. that's very odd. Um, I, this is very much not what we we're going to talk about. And I know we we don't no. want to get too much into <laughs> piloty stuff, but just out of general interest, what's your kind of like average day like as a pilot? Do you literally just go to work, get on a plane, and go, or like, yeah, I get like asked this meetings? question
1: all the time. Like, <laughs> it's the it most it common again. question people ask because. I, my answer is I don't have an average day. I don't have an average number of hours I work and I don't have an average schedule. So, yeah, like I I just mentioned, for example, I can go to work and just be doing a one-hour flight, but then weather or technical problems or passengers being disruptive can lead to it being a way longer day than you thought. So mm. um, long days wow. are subjective.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, I imagine... So does it, is it, yeah, is it basically just like you don't necessarily have like hours, it's just like you go in and they just say this is what, you just have to do this flight today and then you just go or?
1: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So <laughs> I feel like I'm asking you... such
0: a stupid question, so I'm sorry, but I'm genuinely <laughs> okay. interested.
1: You have a schedule and then it gets published on the 17th of each month and then roughly um, and then it can or cannot change. Sometimes you show up to work thinking you're doing like Copenhagen Prague and then it might be Budapesties. So it's a bit of a lottery in my life.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It sounds very exciting though and you get to see a lot of the world obviously and yeah it sounds like a cool job. I feel like it's one of those um, when you're a kid everyone has like a job that they want to do when they grow up and I feel like like pilot is like up there there's like astronaut and pilot and I feel like those, <laughs> those tends to be the ones you know I feel like that was quite common in school
1: yeah I think I was completely different in that regard because I didn't actually know I wanted to be a pilot until I was 19 mm. because for me mm. it was always I wanted to be an Olympic athlete so yeah
0: yeah and that was that very is a clear. <laughs> fantastic segue onto the the podcast itself um So yeah, obviously, um, people who read the description will read a little bit about Rachel and um, her friend Amber, who isn't here today, but we can talk a little bit about Amber as well and this project that you guys are putting forward, the Athlete Support Network, and we're going to talk all about that as we go through. Um, I guess what I want to start off with is a little bit about yourself and your kind of story, um, you know. Again, people who read the description will already know a little bit about you. But can you start us off with, yeah, when you were a kid, were you always sporty? Um, is your family sporty? Is that something you've always done?
1: Um, well, I guess I'll start with family. So my dad, more or less, not at all. Um, but my mum was quite good at hockey when she was younger. Um, so she, I think she was in like year 11 or 12 and was playing for the sick form. So she was pretty good <laughs> um so I think I get it from her predominantly but my passion for what sport I did so I was a GB Alpine skier and the passion from that actually came from my dad because he went on a few trips like I think at school and at university and then carried that on and pretty much as soon as I could walk I wanted to ski so <laughs> it was very very strong uh the passion for skiing in me from a young age
0: Mm, and that mostly comes from your your dad you're saying so was it like yeah, yeah just something that kind of got pushed over like that that's fantastic so when when did you first kind of start skiing and like I've 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 attempted skiing I think twice in my life and they were both on those like brush ones when you know when you go to the brush ones and I've been told yeah. they're not great um maybe they are no. I don't know yeah okay um I just remember hurt it hurting yeah there you go yeah, yeah.
1: Hurting. exactly exactly <laughs> yeah
0: Uh, So my (laughs) my experience of skiing is very poor, and I don't understand how anyone could ever continue with it just based off of those like two (laughs) two. They were both birthday parties as well. Like they were like a kid's birthday party in my school, and we went there. I ended up just grabbing like a sled and doing that instead.
1: I confess that's how I feel about snowboarding because it (laughs) is a mystery to me as to why people would want their feet fixed on a plank of wood. Like at Mm. least with skiing, you can move your two feet, you know and with snowboarding, you sort of, you know, if you stop on a flat slope, you end up just doing this really awkward shuffle. So...
0: Mm. <laughs> imagine that that makes it more... Is, would that be more dangerous then as well? Like, if you stop, like, if your feet are stuck together, surely that would be...
1: I don't really know, um, mm. because I was really terrible at snowboarding, so I never really got <laughs> very far with it.
0: Yeah, fair, fair. Um, and, and obviously, you know, you were... Uh, GB level. So I know that you are obviously very good at what you did or what you do. Um can you tell us a little bit about the kind of things that you've competed at? Um, you know, just so people have like a general idea of the kind of the, the level that you were you competed at?
1: Um so in a nutshell, I suppose, I competed for twelve years um internationally for about six years, because when we hit the age of fifteen, that's when we start international competitions um and sort of career highlights I suppose is I did get to win sorry not win <laughs> I competed in the uh, the winter youth olympic games um in 2012 and that was really special because it was actually the first one um after the first summer olympic wow. games uh youth olympic games and I won the time trials for that by 100th of a second so <laughs>
0: Oh, wow. Amazing. Yeah, there
1: was only one spot and I got to go, which was absolutely incredible. And then I did get selected for World Junior Champs, I think, three times. Um, and I competed at in the sort of B circuit. So the A circuit is World Cup and then you have the B circuit, which is Europa Cup.
0: Mm. Amazing. Amazing. So obviously very accomplished, very much an elite athlete um do you, so in your kind of team you said that you managed to get through on one 100th of a second which is like incredible <laughs> um so there, there obviously was someone who was one one 100th of a second slower than you how many people were there in like you're know, in that group um you know did you have like teammates in that because I imagine it's because it's a solo sport do you, you know do you have many kind of friends who were doing it with you um
1: well for these time trials I think 20 people met the criteria if I remember so then they just said, right, we'll do three, three runs through the course. And whoever has the quickest time gets to go to the youth Olympics. So it was like (laughs) very cutthroat and I had an extreme level of determination in me that day. So, (laughs) um, but I would say it's, it's such a, it's such an interesting topic because, uh, in an individual sport, you're often really isolated, I would say. Mm. And, yeah, particularly in a sport like skiing, where there's a lack of uh, performance, world class performance program, um, lack of funding, lack of uh, basically support network, you know, you're, you're very much on your own. And like, I was constantly moving around every year to different teams. Um, so I never really formed strong connections with anybody um, in in my adolescence, which is actually quite sad when I look back on it. Um and that sort of did inspire me to do what I'm working on with Amber to some extent. Um, yeah, it's just. I, I think with individual sports, it's just really hard, and when you're in that environment.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can I can imagine, and I, I always think as well, and and you can I suppose you can tell me if this is correct, but. Uh, you know, you, you're you're kind of cut off from from other people, and the only time you ever do see other people is when you're competing against them. So now they're suddenly like the enemy. Um, so did that? Do you think that? I don't know. Did that? Did that ever play into your head? Like this, you know, this idea that you know, other people your age were kind of you were always being compared to them, or you were always kind of up against them. Do you think that played in at all? I don't. I don't know.
1: Oh, one hundred percent. Like mm. uh, there's two girls I can think of in particular who are more or less my age, and honestly with both of them if you take away the competitive uh, elements i think we would have been really good friends but there was always that that conflict and and it's such a shame but sometimes we'd be vulnerable with each other and we'd open up to each other but you'd never really could fully open up to somebody i don't think who was your mm-hmm. fellow competitor um and it's funny because a few years ago oh i think it was in 2020 actually i met up with an old teammate um who's not british actually and i asked her i said like totally, you can 100 percent be honest with me and say no i said but would you say you have any friends from the sport like genuine friends and she sort of thought about it for a few minutes and then she said no and i said yeah me neither
0: yeah. that is sad especially when you were in it for so long and did it for so long um and you think? Do you think that is purely because of this, like competitiveness, or do you like you know? Do you think there's any other factors in there? I w-
1: I would say so because you're constantly competing with each other to be the best, and elite sport is incredibly ruthless in that sense because it it's not really interested in second, third, fourth, fifth place. Like even when I think about the Olympics, you know, I, I watch. I always watch the Olympics. Um, very avidly and follow every single event particularly in my sport and I could not tell you off the top of my head who exactly won the Olympic medals in my sport this year which is interesting to think about.
0: Hmm. But why do you think that is? Why do you think it is that you can't?
1: I think I don't know I just maybe I think when you're an athlete you you have such a perceived importance on the big events and on winning and on qualifying for this qualifying for that, for being better than everybody else that in, in, in sort of normal life, if you can call it that, um, you just, you just watch it for fun. You're not really Mm -hmm. specifically interested in who's winning what and when and how, you know, you, you just enjoy watching the sport for, for the sport itself.
0: Mm. so it's quite like a a release to be able to just watch it and kind of I suppose I suppose it's similar to um like I'm I'm nowhere near an elite athlete in this in this sport but I've recently started doing jujitsu. like um and like I said I am I am shit at it I'm really bad at it I basically just go and get beaten up once a week um but but because I'm learning the techniques, I can when I watch UFC now or stuff like that, it's more enjoyable for me because I get what's going on a bit more. Like you know, when they're wrestling on the floor, I kind of know what's happening. So I imagine it's similar. Like obviously, you way more to a much um, more yeah intricate extent. But when you're watching people ski and watching people doing these events, you you fully get what's happening. You can see all the intricacies of every movement, and yeah, I feel like it's really interesting for you.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like I, It's funny, actually, initially upon retiring, I uh, drifted completely away from the sport and I wanted nothing to do with it. And then in 2018, I was sort of had a period of not doing a lot uh, in February 2018. So mm-hmm. I started watching the Olympics again and I started taking an interest. And um, yeah, then my passion for the sport kind of came back. And now I just avidly watch the World Cup, like... <laughs> almost obsessively like I love (laughs) I love watching the slow-mos I love seeing uh people's technique and analyzing it in my head and um seeing individuals develop as well and change their techniques and their tactics yeah Mm. it's good fun
0: yeah I can I can imagine um I want to go back a little bit to what we were saying Regarding comparison to other people and and this idea, you know, whenever you're meeting someone, any of your kind of people your similar age, you're always competing with them and always comparing with them. Because it made me think, um, again, it's not necessarily the same thing, but I see correlates with my experience, um, and uh, you know, I I had eating disorder, uh, muscle dysmorphia, and a lot of mine revolved around um. Muscularity and and bodybuilding and and trying to be big and muscular and and bodybuilding is obviously very um like comparative. It's literally you're standing in front of people and comparing your physiques. And I never actually competed in bodybuilding, but um I I trained for it and I kind of you know I used to kind of do it in the mirror to myself. But for me, you know every um especially guys in the gym who were like similar kind of age to me or you know they were constantly a threat to me in a sense you know i was i was always sizing them up i was always considering the idea that this is a you know a comparison here um and yeah, I guess for me that was that was constant in everyday life. Um, even people who weren't in the gym, I was still having that comparison. And I wonder if was there a similar thing for you? Um, you know, did you find that even people your age who weren't competing in skiing, you still were comparing yourself to them in some manner? Um, just from just from the kind of habit of doing it when you were in that that arena, I suppose.
1: Oh, definitely. Um, I actually had to unlearn that going into my new career <laughs> so uh it took it took a lot of effort to switch that I need to be the best mentality mm. off because even you know even uh at school like with a levels you know I was like what results are people getting oh, did I do better than this person and uh oh I, I got this grade like oh what did they get and and you just constantly had that on switch for that like even in the gym as well I would I would be training for my for my sport and doing uh, sport specific training for for that, but I'd still be checking out what other people were lifting and what their lifting technique is. And you know, it sounds mm. really terrible, but I was just, like constantly judging them as well.
0: Mm.
1: And like even now, if I go to the gym, I I will still get a little bit triggered by inc- incorrect uh, lifting techniques. Mm and you know i think oh how deep is the person squatting oh they're not squatting very deep yeah
0: why do you so, think why do you think it is you still you you're doing that do you think uh,
1: i think it's just an old habit that i'm mm. still working to let go of to be honest mm. yeah
0: and yeah i think off. i still definitely compare myself I I feel like mine switched from because mine used to all be about um my body and and the kind of the gym and also like people's diets so I'd always be like looking at how people ate and I, I I connected a lot of like moral superiority to the way that I exercised and the way that I ate so you know I'm better than these people because I eat this and I exercise this way and um and I think I've I've taken that away now but part of me feels like I've also some some aspects of it have just moved into other areas for me so I still compare myself a lot with people for like productivity and I still compare myself a lot with people with you know like I'm always working and and I, I always kind of I have to I've been working on it and I've started to pull away from it but I'm always um it always upsets me a little bit if I hear someone's working hours, like how many hours they've done that day. And if it's more, especially if it's more than mine, because then then it, I don't know, for me, it's like, again, it's like competitiveness. But I think for me, what it is, is Um, masculinity plays a big role in it for me and it's been something that I've really struggled with my whole life is that I didn't I never felt like I was masculine enough and I've worked a lot on that and I'm in a much better place but I think I think it still hangs on for me a bit that oh, like that person's a bit better than me because they're a bit more macho they're they're working longer hours they're pushing themselves through some kind of pain um yeah does that resonate with you at all
1: yeah it's really interesting you use the words in some sense, uh, not enough. Because I've been reading uh, Daring Greatly by Brene Brown recently. Mm. And uh, she references this. And so many of us are constantly thinking we're not enough of something. So, oh, we're not good enough. We're not motivated enough. We're not working enough. Um, Or We're always looking like saying, oh, I, I really can't wait until this. I really can't wait until spring. I really can't wait until... Uh, I have a promotion, or and not really taking our own validity and justifying ourselves in the present moment.
0: Mm. No, yeah, I agree, and I, I, I've, um, yeah, I think it's something we often do, isn't it? It's that idea of we're never where we're we've, we're never like it's like it's kind of similar to how I never feel like I'm an adult. Like I never feel like I'm actually like I still feel like I'm a child in a sense because I feel I just I always feel like I'm not quite smart enough yet or i'm not quite like settled yet or i'm not quite accomplished yet i'm not quite yeah i i feel like there's we always feel like we're in this preparatory position for when actual life's gonna happen like i always feel like i feel like i'm preparing for that moment when my life starts still um but you know i think i feel like maybe we just you never get to that maybe we're already that um it reminds me of the book um, Siddhartha. I don't know if you've you've um, heard of it. It's, it's like on a, my list. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. It's brilliant. It's, it's, I, yeah. I haven't got a, t- a tattoo, but I've always said to myself that if or when I get my first one, I want to get this quote from Siddhartha. Um, and I don't know the quote off by heart, off the top of my head, but I have it written down. Um, but basically... So for people who don't know, Siddhartha is this kind of like, uh, I think it's like a Buddhist character basically. And the book is his journey from being very like Zen and um, not taking on kind of worldly things and and just being kind of okay with who he is and where he is and just focusing on himself and, and, um, you know, and just focusing on enjoying kind of, um, yeah, like, like, non-material things and then as the book goes on he starts to take in material things and he and he, we watch as his life kind of deteriorates and he starts to focus on this idea of having to obtain things and having to get more in and more and more and then as the book goes on he then starts to move back to being a buddhist um, or back to this kind of yeah non-material life and the, there's a passage in the book where um, it says that um it's basically he's walking through a field and it says that he he then realized that meaning and reality was not hidden somewhere behind things it was in them in all of them um so you know he's looking at the leaves and he's looking at the sun and he's and he's he's kind of contemplating the idea that there is not there's you know the meaning to life is not hidden somewhere around this corner that i'm about to look at or somewhere in the river or somewhere in the leaves or somewhere in this extra money i'm going to get this is it like i'm in it now this is this is life like this is meaning um i guess that that the kind of rings for that i feel like i've gone very philosophical all of a sudden but you know (laughs) it kind of it rings with that i don't know Do do you think
1: yeah and whilst you're talking there it just reminded me of of where i sort of started to evolve away from the athlete and actually appreciate what what I'd done with my life and where I was now is that um, the current most successful female athlete to date in my sport retired, I think from memory in 2019 or maybe a bit earlier, but I was really shocked by her Facebook post because she said something like she feel like she'd let a lot of people down that she'd failed. And I was like, you've literally won, I think maybe 82 world cups. And goodness knows how many Olympic medals, how many world championships medals. And you're there th- saying you failed and you let people down. And mm. it really like grinded in my head because I thought if she thinks that as the most successful female athlete of all time, where does that put people like me who no way near, were no way near her level? You know, how what how does that justify our achievements? So then mm. I started to question, well, what is winning? And I thought, I really had to think about it and I thought, you know, I, I mean, I've won a lot of medals and a lot of trophies in my life. You know, they all sit at home at, at my parents' house, but uh, um, I don't really value any of them. And when I think of it, I'm like, I don't really remember the the memory of winning them, you know, each specific one, there's nothing really that stands out to me. And so I thought, okay, well, what is winning then? And then I realized it's, it's not what you achieved in your sport, but it's who sport made you. So what, what you've taken away from sport and, and those tools that you take forward, wherever you go in life. Um, so for an elite athlete, it tends to be, you know, we're very good at performing under pressure. We're very motivated. We're good workers, you know, much stronger work ethic than, uh, perhaps comparative with our ages, um, so it's about recognizing all of those sort of non-technical skills and appreciating them, and that to me is what winning is.
0: That's that's amazing. I always do like a little um, quote bit of the pod that I put on social media. Um, hopefully, I'm, I'm hoping future me remembers this this moment. <laughs> I'm going to type the <laughs> the time down right now just so, in hopes that I remember to put that because that's a really nice. Um, Quote. So yeah, thank that. Thank you for sharing that. It it reminds me of. Um, I feel like we're just kind of quoting books here over and over again. No, okay. <laughs> um, but um, I'm just I'm really close to finishing, um, Darren Brown's book called Happy. Um, and for people who don't know, I don't know if you you recognise the name, but Darren Brown's like a magician slash hypnotist guy on who um, was on TV in in England for a while. He was mega famous. I think he, I I I I'm quite a big fan of his. I think he's really um, interesting. Um, but he's he wrote a book called Happy, and it's all about the philosophy of happiness. Um, and I'm just on a section at the moment where he's talking about fame and talking about how people who attempt to achieve fame and think that fame is going to make them like make them happy never kind of achieve it. Um, and he compares it to a, a quote from Seneca, um, who's an old philosopher who said that um, it's basically said that a boat like the boat that appears large in the river soon appears small when it meets the sea or something like that or when it meets the ocean and it basically you know basically what he brings from that is you know you can build up this boat and and try and you know, gain gain this um boat that looks so good in your current river but eventually you're going to move on and once you've got that boat it's going to move on to the sea and then it's going to appear small and you know that you can constantly aim to achieve things in your current setting that you think are going to be impressive. But then as soon as you achieve those things, your mind's going to move on and they're suddenly not going to seem as impressive anymore. Um, And it's something I always say to my partner um, that I'll, I'm always trying to achieve something. I'm always trying to like get on some, you know, Get on! I want to be in a magazine or I want to be on TV or I want to do this thing. And as soon as I get the email that says, hey, we want you to do this thing, I immediately don't care about it anymore because then it goes into this category of things that I've done and therefore they're not as good. Um, and it happens all the time for me. And I don't know, maybe maybe you're the same, but I, like I, with all your achievements, I don't know if it was the same for you where the the idea of achieving it seems so amazing and like oh everything will be complete and then as soon as you achieve it it's just one of those things that you've done so then no it doesn't matter anymore
1: yeah exactly like I I really devalued actually what I've achieved Mm. now now I respect it in a different way but yeah initially I I just you know as soon as I stopped I as like, I failed, I failed, like I've really failed. And mm. I went through this whole grieving process and I think, I mean, it probably lasted a few years to be honest. And even now I'm still sort of getting to the end of, of, of that transition out of elite sport, because the thing is, if, If you fixate on a goal, like I want to be an Olympic athlete or I want to win an Olympic medal from a very young age, your entire life for years and years and years is just about that one thing. Mm. So then when you suddenly take that away, I think it leaves elite athletes almost vulnerable to an identity crisis. And I definitely went through that myself because I was always known at school as the skier. And I actually felt that when I retired that I was a nobody because i was Mm. so used to being a somebody and I felt that I wasn't worth knowing. So I actually disconnected myself from a lot of people I knew from my adolescent years, um, because of that. And I didn't think that they'd want to be my friend anymore. I didn't think they'd be interested in me because I wasn't a skier anymore. Um, Mm. so I went through this whole period of like having basically no self-worth for what I'd done and for myself without the sport,
0: Hmm. I think that's something that a lot of athletes tend to share, or at least you you tend to hear about it, don't you? where athletes kind of retire and then suddenly, and it's it's yeah, it brings up this really interesting question around um praising people for their accomplishments, because obviously, you know, I think to say that we should never praise because you know, sorry, let me explain myself. Because to a point, when we start to when we praise people for things that they're doing all the time, we start to teach them that the reason they deserve praise is because of the fact that they're achieving these things so then when they stop achieving they suddenly don't deserve, deserve praise anymore and like you said maybe I don't deserve friends or I don't you know I don't get friends or I don't you know people don't respect me as much and um, so then it adds this, this really interesting question isn't it it's like how much praise do we give someone well I think I think maybe it's maybe it's like what we praise people about so you can you you could praise someone for the fact that they're you know so knowledgeable or they're so driven or they're so you know the personality factors that led lead to these things um but yeah it's something that i think a lot of people and you know again in in my my kind of experience with um my kind of eating disorder and my kind of muscle dysmorphia stuff um people would often praise me for the way I look and my parents used to you know even when I had my kind of um you, know, come, I'd, you know, I'd spoken to them about my my experiences with disordered eating and, and exercise and stuff. You know, my mom would still, if I went back to the gym for a bit and I was in a kind of a good headspace and doing a bit better, my mom or my dad would say, oh, you can tell you're going back to the gym. Like, look at your arms. They're like looking, looking more muscular. And obviously that's a really, like, you know, from from their perspective, that's a really nice thing to say. And they're complimenting me. So what can be wrong with that? But for me, that was, um, so what you're telling me is you weren't telling me this before because before I look like shite. So now I only des- I only deserve it now because I'm going to the gym. So if I stop again for whatever reason, you think I look like crap and I don't don't deserve praise. Which is I know it seems so much, but like you know that, that's kind of, that kind of stuff happens, and I think it happens so much to athletes like like yourself. I you know I don't know if if that level was the same with you.
1: Yeah, it's it's really interesting because it's something i've got into recently is looking at how we communicate and how we use words and and how even changing uh, a phrase slightly can can create a completely different meaning to what we we are actually trying to say to someone
0: mm-hmm. um
1: so and, and and i think generally it's it's all sort of about balance and um I've actually gone through a lot of self-growth recently. And one of my things has been like setting boundaries as well and communicating those boundaries in in a clear way, but not, not a sort of condescending way, but a way that creates support or space depending on what I need. Mm. Um, and that's something you definitely don't do when you're younger. Because um, this is the thing, when when I think back to uh, to when I was competing, I, so I retired at 19, you know, and and I was dealing with, a lot of very intense things that are far above what a normal teenager would go through because that, that's kind of how it is with an athlete um so in some ways you're highly highly functional and, and highly ahead of 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 sort of peers your age um but in other ways you're quite underdeveloped so i'd say that from personal experience like i lacked um I lacked sort of uh, emotional intelligence and uh, social intelligence as well. Yeah.
0: So, what, what kind of stuff did you do to to work on that? So, you said you you setting boundaries and stuff. Like, how how did you start to develop the skill to do that? Because that can be quite tough.
1: Um, it's just kind of been an evolution in recent months. Um, sort of wind back a bit uh, during the pandemic. I decided to actually see a therapist to help me with a personal trauma that I'd been through. Um, well, not actually me, but, but a friend, well, my best friend at the time went through. And um, yeah, I, I sort of was very strong at that moment in time, but I didn't realize until quite a bit later because I then went through um, a lot of personal struggles myself. Uh, sort of 2018-19 so it was only really in the pandemic when we sort of paused on the world that I was able to realize oh I need to deal with this thing that I sort of swept under the rug for a few years Um, because to cut a long story short she uh, my friend she went through a severe personal trauma um, and then just disappeared off the face of the earth so um, I sort of experienced this loss uh, with no closure but because of everything else that was going on, I, I just put it to one side. So that was how it all started. And since then, I've sort of seen her maybe three times a year. And, and every time I've sort of reached this bit of self-growth. And now I'm like really happy with with where things are going. And mm-hmm. it's also why I, I sort of picked up with Amber um, because I knew Amber from a few years ago as well. And I said, hey, I've got this idea. And uh, I really think now's the time... For, like I definitely feel like I want to do this now because I'd say I'm in a in a space where I feel capable of of doing this next project.
0: Mm. So
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, and I, I really want to talk about um this this project and this idea um in a bit. But I also want to just touch a little bit more on what what you kind of went through. And you've already spoken about it to a point um that when, you know, when you retired you felt this kind of loss of this this identity that you had um what do you think because i think it's something that a lot of athletes experience what do you think it is about sport that that makes people what's well, how do i word this what is do you think it's about sport that makes people fully encompass themselves within it do you think it is just the nature of sport that you have to spend so much time or yeah what do you think it is that makes people so it's so obsessive and so you know what is it
1: It, that's a really hard question to answer Mm. um i think it's just uh, i mean i'm trying to think back when i was maybe i'm trying to think back when in my life i decided i wanted to be an olympic athlete And I think it was maybe when I was six or seven and like most six or seven year olds aren't thinking about that. Like perhaps (laughs) they're like, Oh, I want to be a vet or I want to be a journalist or I don't know. I want to be an astronaut as you were saying earlier. Um, Mm. So I think for the most part, that concept is, is sort of an imaginative thing. But for me, it was a very real, like I will do this um, Mm. type attitude. And I think I was just someone who was always quite highly motivated, but because I was fixated on that goal from such a young age, it sort of builds up over time and it becomes accumulative. And then I'd say it almost becomes obsessive. Mm. Um, And and then obviously as you get older, you start being more aware of other things and, and the focus on fun sort of is taken away and it becomes more focused on performance. And then your sports psychologist is always telling you like, Oh, focus on process goals and da 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 da, and don't think about the outcome. And I'm like, yes, but I'm still going to be thinking about the outcome like <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard to switch it off, and actually, it was only from flying that I learned to switch off from the outcome, like I could mm. never achieve it as an athlete, which is interesting as well um so it, I don't know, I think because it becomes so ingrained in us for such a long period that it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's why we, we can be so almost tunnel visioned on our goals Mm. um, and our understanding of the world. Whereas like now I'd say I I basically almost have no set goals with my life Mm. and I have pretty low motivation compared to before, but I'm completely okay with that.
0: I think, I think that's where we want to get to. I, I, you know, I think, um, again we're getting into philosophy here but you know i'm i'm quite a big fan of the um the stoic idea of of you know just focus on what you can do and then whatever you know you can't you focus on the things that you can control and don't worry about the things you can't control and that's that's what life is about you know just do stuff that makes you happy in the simplest terms do shit that makes you happy and then just you know whatever happens happens so i think that's that's the the best way to to kind of go about life um, but yeah, I was, I'm interested in because um, you you, know, you mentioned your sports psych who kind of it was giving you these pointers. Um, but I do think with with athletes, often you, know, you get so heavily, especially when you're a junior athlete like yourself, you get so heavily influenced by the people around you. So kind of, you know, I, I wonder if the the atmosphere around you is also part of this thing that integrates this idea that this is everything. Because I suppose to those people, it's their job, so it is everything. Like to them, they think you know, this is so important.
1: Yeah definitely because what I find so interesting is when I was younger I was in actually in the French system I wasn't in the British system so I was what they now uh, have a term for it they call it expat athlete so um, yeah I, I was completely away from the British system and the British mentality of sport and like the focus on the French system was very much just fun and I had a lot of clear goals but I also played like we just went powder skiing like if if it was snowing, we weren't training, we were just messing around in the powder and being kids, basically um but then, when I hit fifteen and switched into the British system because of course I couldn't compete for France, sadly, <laughs> so um I switched into the British system and i I picked up on this toxic environment of like where people were worrying about like funding and and like it made me feel so guilty about about the cost that it it had on on my parents not only financially but also like you know they committed a lot of their time and and effort into helping me and supporting me and like they're amazing parents and and definitely wouldn't change that they did that but I started to feel guilty about it and it I just picked up on on that group um Sort of group atmosphere and group thinking, group mentality is the word I'm looking for. Um, and then I started to think more and more, and and start to get performance anxiety and and put way too much pressure on myself. And and I felt like I was constantly being monitored. Like people were constantly because you can just go on my on my page, like my competitive biography, and see all of my results if you really wanted to. And I felt like people were constantly doing that. So I felt, oh, I'm constantly being judged. I'm constantly being assessed. Oh, my well-ranking points, what are my well-ranking points? They need to be lower. They need to be better. They're not good enough. Oh, this person had this well-ranking points at my age. I should have this. And it just becomes completely unrealistic.
0: That's really interesting. So do you think it is like a cultural thing here? Or do you think it's just the way the system's built in, in England compared to France? Or
1: Yeah, I think so. Because one thing that does... Uh, annoy me a little bit about British sport and the way uh funding is allocated generally is on Olympic medal potential and also under that umbrella is oh how many medals did this sport win at the Olympics? And it's like if you don't meet that target, then that's it. Your funding, your whole funding program for your whole sport can be cut. And thus not only your funding is gone as the top athlete, but everybody else is underneath is gone. And what's really interesting is like, as we saw in the Tokyo Olympics, just been and the Beijing Olympics, we had Simone Biles and Michaela Schifrin, who Michaela's from my sports, Simone, I'm pretty sure everyone probably knows who she is. Um, they are two of the most successful athletes of their sports of all times. And I like, they just succumbed to this, this pressure at the Olympics and they didn't get the medals that they were predicted to get. Um, and it's funny because I had a conversation with somebody when this was all kicking off and I said, oh, it's funny, like at the Olympics, who doesn't medal? And then he replied and he said, well, it's also funny who does. So all this pressure is put on uh, athletes to perform in this event that happens every four years. And if you don't medal at those events, you've got to wait another four years to then prove yourself and to prove your sport. So I just find that really interesting to think about
0: yeah and i suppose that yeah that equates to this in- intense amount of pressure for this one moment and uh, yeah i imagine that's quite distressing for the athletes like obviously you know there's always going to be pressure if you're competing at a huge event but if you tie that into the pressure of if you don't succeed not only is it going to affect you but it's going to affect all these other people within your Within your sport, because the funding is going to get cut from all of them if this medal isn't achieved. That, yeah, that obviously is a huge amount of weight. So, is it different in other countries? Do they not do it that way? I d- I'm kind of, a, um, yeah, don't really know what I'm talking about with this stuff.
1: I mean, I'm not completely sure how they allocate funding, but I just felt that the way they went about things was better in the French system, for example. Like, I only really know the French system to compare it by, but there was more sort of a clear criteria for career development. So for example, when, when, uh, when I was 15 hitting that international age, we had um, like sort of, I don't know if you could call it like a grand prix sort of uh, series for, for the national champs. So we actually rather than had one national champs, we had three throughout the whole season and you scored various ranking points, depending how you did and it was all based on where you came in the top thirty and then at the end of the season uh the six top those the six best athletes go to the top level uh ski school um so it's like where they will do school in the summer and then not do school in the winter, but then the next uh next athlete's down to the top thirty. Uh, they went into the next level down of school, which meant they were still elite athletes, but they weren't quite sort of French ski team level. So they were still getting funding. They were still getting support and still had a very clear uh, targets on what they should achieve. Um, And then if you weren't in those top 30s, that's when you end up sort of going down, oh, I'm going to be a ski instructor uh, route, which also in itself is is quite a serious diploma and um, takes a few years to actually achieve that diploma. So yeah, I, I just felt in the UK I was never really sure of where I was, whereas in France I was always very much clear on what I had to do and where I had to be.
0: Yeah, so maybe it's like a, a communication or some kind of cultural difference. Do you do you have? I'm just thinking, you know, if someone's listening to this who who is in or or has a kid who's who's an aff, like athlete in this these kind of systems or is themselves in these kind of systems, do you have any advice for them around, um, you know, how to deal with that
1: oh I think that cuts out I didn't quite hear you
0: oh sorry I said that um the people who who have someone who's in these systems whether it's someone like a parent that has um a child in the system or it's um them they're in the system themselves do you have any advice for them for how to kind of deal with this
1: I think the Best, like if I could go back and sort of tell myself something, it would be have fun. Like two very simple words, have fun. Because at one point I forgot to have fun, and and that's sort of how I feel now about about sport as well and and just exercise in general is. Why are we doing this? Is it to be healthy? Is it for this? Is it for that? Or or what is actually the healthiest attitude to have? And and I really think it is to have fun um because that that's where sort of intrinsic motivation should come from is is we're doing this because we enjoy it and fundamentally that's why any of us really go into sport is we are doing it because we enjoy doing it yeah
0: and that's it's interesting you you say that as well because for for me with um in regards to my exercise issues with i had you know issues with kind of exercise addiction and compulsively exercising and, and how that affected me. Um, one of the ways that, you know, I've worked on that. And one of the ways that when I'm in a better place with my exercise, that one of the main things that I notice is that I'm doing exercise for fun more, rather than doing exercises that I feel like I need to do or you know I'm, I'm going to the gym because I fancy doing you know having a, a fun workout and doing things that I want to do rather than going okay I have to do this amount of sets and this amount of reps and I have to make sure that I'm resting for this long and um you know I think that's one of the first signs that I'm not in a good pl- one of the few yeah one of the first signs when I'm not in a good place or when I'm moving into a bad place is when I start overly thinking about, what exercises i'm going to do and, and caring if I, that's another thing is i care if other people see me doing exercises that in my head aren't like good ones quote unquote you know um so yeah it's 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 weird how how that yeah kind of feeds in um but yeah the, the, i think the the kind of key there is that it is about having fun isn't it is about switching that um I guess that feedback loop from rather than it being, I have to do this or I need to do this because X, Y, and Z instead doing, I want to do this because I want to have fun. I want to enjoy myself. I want to, you know, etc. whatever it is. Um, I'm, I'm interested in, cause obviously with sport and we've spoken a lot about sport and kind of the, the exercise sides of it, I suppose. Um, but, often one thing as well is part of your diet and I've mentioned before that I've had my own experiences with kind of issues around food and I think it's something that often comes up with athletes in general with like nutrition you obviously I imagine you had like a nutritionist or someone someone like that um how 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 was your kind of relationship with food when you were in sport and also coming out of it
1: when I was in sport it was actually quite positive um because Yeah, um, I think the nutritionist did help with that Um, because she made it interesting for me and she didn't focus it on like necessarily values of what I should be eating, but more uh, focusing on like, oh, for example, correct me if I'm wrong, because it's been years since I've thought about this. But uh, like there was a difference between when I should eat red meat and when I should eat white meat, depending on if it was post or pre-exercise but that was sort of her focus on me. was like being smart about when I was eating what, rather than how much of what I was eating, which I thought was really, really helpful when I look back on it now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I almost got a bit cocky because I was like, oh, I can eat this many calories a day, ha ha ha, because I do so much sport that it just gets away with it almost. <laughs> like mm-hmm. when I'm skiing, um, you're burning so many calories when you ski, like it's insane. Um, I remember I went on a ski camp where we were staying up at altitudes. I think we were at like 3,500 meters above sea level, sleeping there as well. And I remember I ate like double portions at lunch, double portion at dinner. I'd eat three bowls of porridge for breakfast and I still lost weight throughout that whole month. Like, yeah, and, and I love food, so... So for me, it wasn't a problem, but the problem came afterwards, uh, was Mm. retiring and adjusting my energy needs, I suppose. And actually still now I'm, I am struggling with food. I I do struggle with food, um, mainly because I have separate health issues now. So I've recently discovered that I have potentially low histamine intolerance or like, sorry, uh, histamine intolerance. I have to follow a low histamine diet at the moment. Okay. And it's super, super tough. And because I'm vegetarian as well, that then extremely restricts what you can eat. So mm. sometimes I do lack the sort of inspiration for eating and, and knowing what to eat. And then I just won't cook and I'll just eat like dates or crackers that are in the cupboard. Mm. <laughs> so it's it's interesting how for me, actually, my eating was almost better when I was an athlete then now and also the shift work does not help because uh for this condition I've been seeing a dietitian, and she I sort of had a sobering moment with her because she said uh oh so what do you eat for breakfast and I was like normally and I sort of thought um n- nothing I don't really have breakfast mm. so <laughs> that was really, really tough for me and uh and then she said when do you eat and I was like when I'm hungry so she's like okay so what are we going to work on as like consistent eating habits yeah Mm -hmm. okay (laughs) so yeah she's been helping me a lot with that um
0: that's great that you're getting um kind of help with with eating and stuff I think it's often with athletes I think because there's so many rules around food it's really easy for people to start thinking they have to keep those rules up when they leave and or you know even just you're kind of getting too obsessive around those rules and there being kind of um yeah negative effects on their life because of that
1: yeah like when I was in flight school um the food available was really not good so <laughs> my weight just crept up and up and I didn't really have time to exercise um because I was there to pass my exams and to get a job at the end of the day I wasn't there to to be lifting weights anymore. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so I actually stopped exercising altogether. Um, and then I tried to pick it up again, but then I still sort of felt guilty that I wasn't doing it. And then I saw, I have friends uh, here who go to the gym and they were talking about it. And I was like, I should really do that sometime, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. And eventually I thought, okay, right. When COVID hit, um, just before COVID hit, so December 2019, I was actually at the heaviest I'd ever been. And it was, mm-hmm. uh, let me try and think, 25 kilograms above what I was as an athlete. Okay. Um, which is quite sobering. And uh, so I then said, right, Jan- the first January came, I was like, I'm going to lose weight. <laughs> so mm. I started to lose weight and then when COVID hit and I knew we were going to lock down i made that my goal i was like if i'm going to achieve anything right now it is that i'm not going to put on weight and i'm not going to just snack on food out of like emotional eating habits basically because i can Mm. be susceptible to that so then i started i live in the netherlands so it's really flat so (laughs) i just started cycling and i went cycling every day almost um just to get out and and to connect with nature a bit and and to exercise and then when the gyms opened up again i I started going, but then I started getting that guilty feeling of like, oh, I've missed an exercise, like, oh, I didn't go today, and I started feeling really guilty, and then I started punishing myself for that, I was like, I should go, I should go, I should go, I'm paying for this gym membership, I should go, Um, but now, what's really nice is recently I've said to myself, if I don't go, so be it. I was like Mm. I'll go if I want to go and if I feel like it's going to add value to my day and make me happy then I'll go or I'll go play like badminton or go cycling because it's a nice day today and, and I just feel like going outside you know and I'm really happy with how my relationship with sport has now evolved
0: that's that's really good um and i yeah i think that's that's really important with the the kind of food and the weight gain or loss as well as i don't think there is necessarily one like you know a certain weight or a certain you know um thing that anyone needs to be at and um, i think it's finding the one that you feel most comfortable at or you know finding something that you feel you feel good at and as long as you're not feeling overly guilty about weight gain or weight loss or anything like that and and obviously there the, are um extremes like with anorexia and stuff and people get to like severely weight loss i'm not trying to say that that's fine obviously um but you know i think that yeah it's I think you, it sounds to me like you're finding this kind of healthy, um, in between where you feel kind of good. You feel like you can eat what you, what you like as long as obviously you've got to follow this, this low histamine diet, which sounds, um, annoying <laughs> um, yeah. just from the way you're describing it. Um, but at least, you know, you're seeing your dietitian and you're kind of working on and um, finding habits that that work for you. And, um, yeah, I think that sounds like, yeah, I think that sounds really positive and it sounds very like aspirational for other athletes out there to, you know, yeah, find that, that middle ground the middle um, ground
1: exactly yeah i was thinking that just as you said it
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah exactly i think that's the that's the key for most things isn't it is finding the middle like find yeah, like yeah the extremes the, often
1: the balance for you because mm. that can vary from individual to individual but also with the food it's like um and the weight i know i'm never going to be the kilogram elite athlete that i was when i was 19 but i also know mm. i don't want to be kilogram person at the end of december 2019 so now i've kind of found this weight that my body actually has stabilized at and this kind of links a bit to brené brown again as well but like tuning into your intuition with regards to food is quite empowering actually um because i i I listen to another podcast which has nothing to do with sport or brené brown but it's to do with horses (laughs) and uh, this this girl was saying that, like, have you ever just stood in the supermarket and thought, what does my body actually want to eat right now? And then you sort of find, oh, I feel like eating pasta and oh I'll pick up some leeks or broccoli. OK, I'll make some sort of fast green pasta sauce. That's why I feel like eating today. So it's quite interesting when you start to switch off from the sort of uh, pressure of feeling like, oh, I have to eat this, I have to eat that and actually listening to your inner self.
0: Mm, I love that. I love that. Um, yeah, standing in front of the the food aisle and saying, "What do I want to eat? Like, what do I fancy eating?" That's yeah. That, that's what food should be about. I think we put we put again. It's that that kind of goal, isn't it? Of I think um, we're told so much that there's this goal weight and this goal way to look and this goal of um, eating and goal of everything, but you know again like like being kind of i like the i like the existentialist this always sounds very morbid when i talk about the existentialist but i feel like it it sounds very happy once i once i finish it but the idea i love the existentialist idea of like life is just meaningless like it it, you know it doesn't it doesn't none of this really exists we're all just atoms in a big swimming pool and just floating around (laughs) but we put all these arbitrary rules on them and you know like you know there's really, I love this guy called um, Victor Frankl, who I'd highly recommend adding to your reading list if you haven't already read him or isn't already on your reading list. But um, he was um, a, a philosopher uh, slash psychiatrist or psychologist. Um, and he said that you know most existentialists talk about the fact that um, life is about being able to endure life's meaninglessness. Um, whereas he said that actually life is about being able to endure... Um, our inability to rationalize life's meaninglessness and what I take from that is that um, we all attempt to figure out and rationalize life in different ways and we're all wrong Um, (laughs) and that's great like that's that's brilliant because none of us have got it right and it's what life is about is figuring out a way that you can enjoy it and figuring out a way that works for you and that you know a big part of that is standing in the shop and going what do i want to eat like what will make me feel good right now um, and you know and that doesn't always mean you know i'm just going to like get all the like foods that like you know have you know like, i'm just going to eat loads of cake and donut and or whatever on you whatever it is um it doesn't just mean you're going to just do kind of or, or like it's not you it doesn't mean you're going to binge eat on certain foods or anything like that um it means, you know, sometimes it means like for me, I my kind of big thing around food is I just eat in a way that doesn't make me feel like shit um and that that means that i don't eat foods that make me feel bloated or make me feel like you know overly kind of lethargic afterwards so like high sugary foods or whatever i still eat them occasionally but you know i don't binge eat on them as much as i would before but i also don't eat like you know super like you know i don't try and be really meticulous about what i eat because then i'm bored and I, you know i, I hate eating <laughs> you know so you know, it's finding that middle ground having a bit of both and and you know again it's just it's that Finding a way to rationalize life that works for you and it's going to be wrong and you're gonna get it wrong yeah. all the time and you have to figure it out And it's it going out, to but...
1: evolve as well it's going to change and evolve as as you go through the different chapters of your life mm.
0: yeah, um, and that's something as well that I've been um like again i'm going I don't know why I've gone to so <laughs> philosophy focus on this one, but someone was taught. That's i was fine. I was listening to <laughs> I was listening to like a podcast or something where someone mentioned um the fact that, you know, do, do, do we even exist? Like our, like personality, like we think <laughs> yeah. that we think, <laughs> listen, I listen, um, <laughs> I know I sound crazy, but um we, we think that we're this like collection of our history, all these moments that we've lived through and we've come to this thing and this is who we are now, but actually you're, who you are exists differently every moment to moment. You know, you could just like decide that all that history was nonsense and just kind of live with what you are now. Um, but we we kind of attach these these things to the past. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. I don't necessarily know if I 100% agree with that yet. I feel like it's maybe more complicated than that. But, yeah, another kind of interesting note and completely off topic. So I'm going to move on to something else. <laughs> um, so I want to talk about your idea, finally. Yes. We're coming to your <laughs> full idea. So can you tell me about the Athlete Support Network?
1: So – I think I'll first talk about Amber, actually, because um, it kind of leads to that, really. So Amber is Amber Keegan, and she is a current GB swimmer and a chemical engineering PhD student, which is extremely clever. And I'm genuinely amazed by that. (laughs) Um, And I met Amber through uh, something called TAS, which is uh, Talented Athletes um, Scholarship Scheme. So it's a government... um, supported scheme that both I was on in the past. Amber has also been on in on in the past. And a while ago I was invited to this um this conference day where I was a panelist and I felt actually mildly intimidated because I was on the platform with like actual Olympic gold medalists and then there was just me and I was like, Hi. (laughs) So um I met Amber there and we were actually sat on the same table during this conference. And then later that year I was asked to join uh the talented athlete advisory group um to sort of give the alumina perspective and the retired athlete perspective um and then I think we overlapped by about a year she then left um but we sort of stayed in contact um and then in April we sort of realized we well we had a chat because I reached out to her I was like hey I have this idea and then she's like I actually have a really similar idea. So let's talk about it. And that's where the Athlete Sport Network was born from, basically. Um, And Amber, to give a bit bit more about her story as well. So during the last five years, she's had a lot of setbacks with her career. So she had um, a torn hamstring, a shoulder injury, struggling from eating disorder. She was in a, a car accident and then had COVID as well. But this past summer, she's just had her best season ever in the pool, which is amazing because um, like one of the reasons she inspires me actually is because she is battling the age stereotype in her sports. And again, in elite sport, we've become so fixated on, we have to be this level by this age. And if we're not, then we're not meeting that ballpark figure. So we should stop basically. And I suffered from from that as well but she uh she just broke those stereotypes because she just achieved three gold medals and a bronze in the gb national Tamps and set a few pbs this season so i think that's really awesome
0: yeah that is amazing go amber
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) um but yeah so she uh sort of the athlete sport network stems from um athlete interactions which was born out of conversations um eight women sports trust athletes had um between them and amber was one of them and um amber' sort of quite active on on social media and on, on her own account she speaks up about a lot of issues um men, particularly regarding mental health in sport um and and sort of puts her is very open about about what she's been through which which is really empowering and uh, this was where this athlete interactions idea was born. And uh, the sort of idea behind it was that she wanted to create a community that offers aspiring elite and retired athletes a safe space to to talk um, and to normalise conversations about mental health in sport um, and to also educate coaches on how to support athletes with their mental health, because I think overall, uh, traditionally, that's sort of lacking, but Luckily, the last couple of years or so, you know, we have seen big names starting to speak up like Naomi Osaka, like Simone Biles, Michaela Schifrin, um, Venus Williams. You know, they're all starting to speak up. Michael Phelps as well. And it's really, really good to see that. So that's where that comes from. Um, And then the Athlete Support Network. So my side of it comes in because in aviation since the German wings crash that happened in hopefully I get the year, right. I think it was 2015. Um, the I mean, you could have of, told
0: me any year and I probably would have believed yeah. you. I don't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's basically uh, where a pilot committed suicide and killed everyone on board. So it was really, really, really horrific. Um. And there was this big uh, overturn on mental health stigma with pilots because we're sort of perceived as like, you know, I don't want to use the word machine, but we have such stringent health uh, standards regarding our job that almost sort of a hair out of line doesn't feel like, like we can have that even with both physical and mental health actually. Um, so they realized like the European aviation authority realized we have to do something about this. Uh, and from that they created something called a pilot peer support program, which indicative a bit by the name is, um, peer-to-peer support. So where you have pilots giving support to other pilots and I'm, I know about this program quite well, cause I've, I applied myself to be a peer supporter but unfortunately couldn't end up doing the training for it because I broke my arm, which was a bit annoying, but hey ho. Um but I always felt like we could do something with this in the athlete world. So I then had a chat with Amber, told her all about this and she said, yeah, I've been wanting to create a similar thing because I've been wanting to create a mentor scheme. And so, so the Athlete Support Network has now evolved into a combination of those ideas, because obviously, whilst the Pilot Peer Support Programme is very good, it doesn't quite work exactly the same way for athletes. Um, but we've taken the idea of peer, peer-to-peer support and turned it into for athletes, by athletes. And that is the very basic principle of the Athlete Support Network.
0: Amazing. Yeah, it sounds incredible. Um, And yeah, I I, I kind of want to lead straight into my Devil's Advocate question, purely because it links so nicely to this. Um, so I'm going to do that, and then we can come back a little bit more as well. Okay, so we're going to move on to the Devil's Advocate question. Um, I have a little jingle. Um, you're about to hear the jingle. Please try and refrain from laughing, because it is terrible. Um, But we're going to go anyway. So, for everyone at home, it's time for The Devil's Advocate. It's The Devil's Advocate. And there we go. Isn't it incredible in all its glory? Um, Yeah, terrible. Um, Anyway, The Devil's Advocate for today is... So your idea is to have athletes helping athletes, but athletes aren't mental health professionals so surely they won't be able to help
1: so uh it's a very good question um so the idea of athletes by athletes, so for athletes by athletes uh the concept is designed so that we recognize that it's not always possible to talk to people in your support network about certain things um like when I think back to my career, there were a lot of things I actually just kept to myself. Like I didn't even open up to my parents or my coach about it because I just didn't feel comfortable having those conversations. And it's actually similar in aviation as well. Um, so sometimes you might be going through something and you don't really know who to turn to or, or where to seek support from, or might even be uncomfortable with, with going forward and asking a professional for help. Um, so the idea of it is that you are basically there to listen to uh, the person who's asked to talk to our mentors. So the mentors will listen, and then signpost in the right direction. And they will go gone to go training. Um, so like, at the moment, I'm actually undergoing mental health first aid uh, training, and safeguarding training as well. And, um, but one thing we have pulled from the Pilots Peer Support Programme is that we do have the support of a mental health professional. So if we are faced with a circumstance where we feel like they do need uh, that that type of support, then our mental health professional can, can come and help us with that and, and support us through that and support the athlete through that.
0: Amazing. Fantastic answer. Um, Hopefully that answers yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's it's great. Yeah, amazing. Um, I also, I wanted to, yeah, I I think as well, there's a really important part of it. And I think something that kind of feeds into it is there's a really interesting paper by uh, a woman called, I think her name's Hannah Stoyle. Um, But I can't remember her first name. So I'm sorry, Um, Dr. Stoyle, I imagine you're a doctor now. Um, But there's a paper where they looked at the reasons they looked basically at um, eating disorders within athletes. Um, and there's a classic kind of um, model for how eating disorders are developed in, in anyone and it's called the triad model and one of the key components of the triad model is societal pressures um and they basically spoke to athletes and they talked a lot about how in 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 athletes and you kind of mentioned this previously about the kind of normal life you called it um but in athletes is often a there's they kind of treat other athletes as they're the same as them, and non-athletes as these others and these kind of normal people who who aren't you who know, aren't the same as them and are different to them in whatever way, um, and often in these in athletes' social circles they get smaller and smaller and smaller, um, to the point where actually society doesn't really. Um, you know, affect them as much because it's more about their social circle, about their, the people within that social circle. And you know, I always think about this as you know, I think that shows so much importance for trying to infiltrate that social circle and you know, work on the hierarchy that exists within that social circle to try and help influence athletes' mental health. So actually, bringing in an athlete who's one of that that you know, they're already an in, they're already in that in group is a brilliant way of trying to get someone to to you know question their own mental health or question things that they're struggling with because the person who's talking to them is within that group already they're not the out group they're not the outcast they're not the the people that they can't talk to Um, so i think it it really helps with that as well
1: yeah exactly It's, it's about just being somewhere who's been being someone who's been where you are or potentially are feeling and just just list being just being a pair of ears that they can offload to because mm. um, it may be so we'll create a sort of uh request a call form, and we will ask an athlete who who wants to reach out to the network um how many calls do you want? do you want one do you want two do you want five so sort of offer these the option to just have a one off call or to have a follow up package um yep. so hopefully they they will decide what they, what they want but mm. yeah it's, it's just creating those connections because there, I say there's definitely a gap uh in the way athletes are supported because obviously you have your psychologist you have um your friends your family your coach blah, blah 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 but but sometimes something might arise that you just don't feel comfortable sharing with anyone and the idea of this is that you're sharing with someone who understands your lifestyle but is completely Mm. removed from your day-to-day life. So like when I retired from sport, actually the way I came up with the decision was by talking to a counselor. And I, it took me three sessions with her to decide that I wanted to retire from sport, but Mm. I just appreciated having somebody who wasn't directly involved with my athletic career, um, but who understood how I was feeling and, and that's where this idea also comes from as well, like yes, we're not counselors, but yeah, we're athletes who understand probably how you're feeling
0: hmm, yeah, yeah, I think it sounds like an amazing idea so what kind of what kind of stage are you at at the moment with it within developing it like kind of are you are you ready to go yet or yeah what where are you?
1: We're in the nitty gritty parts of writing all the documentation for it, so I've been nice. working recently on like um how we're going to log cases um and pair up mentors with mentees um because obviously you have to know who your mentors are so we'll start opening up sort of a recruitment process um amber's uh, going to be doing that because we've split the task between us we have to write safeguarding policy um yeah and i'm gonna have to run a, a training session at some point that i've written which i've never done before in my life so <laughs> If anyone's listening who does become a mentor, uh, I apologize in advance for the first training session because it will be the first time I've ever done this, but hopefully it will go well.
0: (laughs) I'm sure it will. You, you know, you, you kind of feel like you wing it once you get there and yeah, you've got everything written down, so it'll be It'll be great. Um, but yeah. yeah, that sounds yeah sounds brilliant. And it's yeah, this is always a, I feel like it's a long process and it's scary, especially when you're making stuff from scratch. But it sounds like you're doing a yeah, great, yeah. Like, great thing. And yeah, hopefully, hopefully maybe some... Oh, sorry, go on.
1: <laughs> sorry, I think that was a bit of a lag from the internet. But uh, what I was going to say was, um, I think what's nice is Amber and I kind of compliment each other because... We both sort of had this idea, um, and she has quite a lot of uh, links with people, whereas I'm not really active on social media in a public way at all anymore. So I I can't easily connect with people, but because she's still competing and has her her profile, she can easily reach out to people. So between Mm -hmm. the two of us and both of the work we've put in over the last couple of months, we've really come a long way and got a lot done. Um, and I'm, I'm just really excited to get started and see where this is going to go. Um, and hopefully it does, it does help athletes. Um, cause I, I'd love to just go back to my younger self and just give her a helping hand, you know?
0: Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Um, and yeah, hopefully this podcast can be a way that people can reach out to you. Is there a way that people can get in contact with you if, you know, if they think they can help um, with this project at all or they want to be involved?
1: We do have an instagram Uh, just bear with me a second because actually uh,
0: it'll be i'll put it in the description you can send it afterwards and it'll be so if you're looking for the instagram it's down below um yeah
1: so it'll be on there um amber's also available via amber.keegan on instagram so that will also be below hopefully uh we do have a website and um we do have an email which we can also all put below
0: Sounds good to me. I'll put it all there. Um, yeah, fantastic. Thank you, Rachel. So, um, again, I don't. I, I think you said you've listened to some of the podcasts, so you may be aware of the final three. Um, we're going to go with the final three questions that I ask every guest. One of them has been slightly modified recently, um, um, but we'll we'll go we'll go with them. So, the first one is: name a person that inspires you.
1: Uh, I'm going to be really stereotypical for my sport and I'm going to say Michaela Schifrin because um, so me and her are actually the same age. So I've known about her pretty much for the entirety of her career because when I first started competing, I was like, who's this girl who's really, really good. Who's my age. Um, But she has just, it's just been an absolute pleasure to watch her through her career because she has grown into a phenomenal human being. You know, she she was extremely successful from a very young age, so I think from memory she won her first World Cup. So her first World Cup when she was sixteen or seventeen, um, she won an Olympic gold medal at eighteen. So she hit all of those top targets very early on. But then she started to struggle from performance anxiety and like external pressure from like the media and and sort of the expectation that was put on her. Um, and now she's very vocal about what she experiences and what she's been through. And she she has these really incredible articles that you can just read online about her journey. And yeah, the most recent thing that has amazed me is uh, she actually tragically lost her father in February 2020 because um, mm. he was in an accident. And so suddenly she just lost basically this this man who was her rock in her life. Uh, and he was just gone or in the middle of the comp- competition season. So, um, she had to fly back to the U S and, and she didn't even know she'd be able to ski again. And the last two years has just been her coming back from, from that grief and, and growing from that and finding purpose again in her sport and meaning in her life. And it's just been really beautiful to follow her, her healing journey and, and to see the person she is now.
0: Wow, I mean, yeah, she sounds incredible um just from the description that you're giving. Very yeah, very inspirational person. And and the fact that she does your sport as well. I can see why she was the person who came to you came to your mind. Um okay, second question. A phase of your life that you didn't like at the time, but looking back, you know that positives have come from it.
1: Uh, flight school. <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> it's a means to an end. Let's put it like that. So, oh, how how do I put this one into perspective? So, you're there for about a year and a half, maybe a bit less. Um, you don't get any breaks. You have six months to pass fourteen theoretical knowledge exams, which are multiple choice questions, and achieve seventy five percent or higher. And the mountain of books is insane. And then you have to learn to fly a plane as well. And on top of that, you're literally on a campus. Like, so I studied in Spain. You're on a campus for 14 months surrounded by basically people you're competing against to get a job <laughs> at the end. And um, you're also, well, to state the obvious, like, I think there are 180 students and there were only nine girls. So, wow. Yeah. You sort of were a little bit isolated, but that whole experience was part of my transition out of sport and part of my personal growth. And it, it was where I started to learn like emotional and social I- intelligence. So mm. I definitely take that away from it all.
0: Fantastic. Um, Yeah, I mean, that sounds incredibly tough, especially, it almost kind of um, sounds like it reflects sport life in a way, the fact that, you know, everyone around you, you're competing with. Um, So yeah, I can see how that can drag across, but a great way for you to practice kind of coming out of it as well. So yeah, sounds fantastic. Okay, the final one, which is the one that's been slightly altered, which is um, name a phrase or word that changed your life
1: hmm i can think of two so uh
0: you can go with two can
1: can i say both okay so the first is tough situations build strong people and i found this via google i think when i was going through a really really difficult time uh professionally in 2018 and it really really tested my resilience like sport had tested my resilience flight squad tested my resilience but this was like next level testing of resilience and those words just really struck me in those difficult times and if you actually google that phrase I think it comes up with this picture of a lion and when I was a kid my my trainers used to joke about me being a lion like in the start gate because I was like super focused and like hunting the kill if that makes sense like going after my goal and um so I just really connected with that image and it's still really powerful in my mind and the sort of look in the lion eye, lion's eye as well. And yeah, obviously we, the lion is a strong animal and lives a very tough life. So it just all sort of connects and resonates with me in that way. And then the other one I actually uh, say to people when they're going through grief. So it's um, you grieve as much as you have loved, which yeah I think I'll just leave it at that because the words in itself are very powerful
0: they are they are very powerful um amazing amazing and I'm yeah I'm picturing you as like kind of growling at the starting line now you've said that you were called the lion um <laughs> we'll leave it at that as well um not quite yeah thank you <laughs> thank you so so much Rachel for your time on the pod I hope you've enjoyed it
1: yeah thank you as well um well it's been my first experience on a podcast and yeah i well you can see me i've pretty much been smiling the whole way through so i think i had a good time amazing
0: amazing i'm glad thank you so much um and for everyone listening at home as always thank you so so much for listening all the way through the pod and i hope to see you at the next one bye Thank you so much for listening to that episode here at my minds we're trying to raise awareness for all the things that we speak about in this podcast so please if you can give it a share each and every one of you has the potential to help us with that also if you want to check out myminds.com please do you can see all our social media things on there and we'd love to have you contributing more as a part of our community thank you